Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. Today we're going to look at Paul's arrest at the temple. Our our main text is Acts 25 verses 15 through 40. We're actually tackling 26 verses this morning. Pray for me even for that. Woo! Some of this narrative stuff that we're getting into, it's like we're going to tackle some bigger sections of Scripture. The problem isn't the bigger sections of Scripture. The problem is doing it in a timely manner. So, could appreciate your prayers for that. Anyways, so, you know, as we looked at the last few weeks, we kind of focused on this aspect of the, the Lord's will. We, we looked at verses 1 through 14 just expositionally, verse by verse. We, we went through, we dug in, we, we gleaned from those things of what was going on as Paul was making his way from the, the port town of Miletus and eventually getting to the city of Caesarea, another major port there on the Mediterranean coast. And then from there, all the things that kind of came with that, all, all the different moments of the, the Spirit speaking something and, and these warnings and the concerns and the dangers that were clearly awaiting the Apostle Paul as he was traveling to Jerusalem, bound in the Spirit, he says, because he knew that the Lord wanted him there. They were going to bring this financial relief package. Paul was concerned about the unity of the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and all of this kind of goes into the context of what's happening now as we get into verse 15, where, where now is this final part of the journey. They're, they're going to travel from Caesarea to Jerusalem and all the things that the Spirit has spoke ahead of time are now, we're now going to see Paul begin to walk in those things. And so with that sort of context in mind, let's look at verses 15 through 17 of Acts chapter 21. Luke recording for us here in a first person sort of way because he says we, Luke is there with them. Verse 15, and after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nason. I always wondered how to pronounce that. And then I looked at a Bible commentary that told me, nason of Cyprus. Sorry, that was just like more information that you needed. But, you know, if you ever feel like you have a hard time with names in the Bible, I'm right there with you. A certain nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. We don't know how many days they stayed in Caesarea Maritime, and and there's a distinction there because there was Caesarea Philippi as well, which was inland. But Caesarea Maritime, after their days there, they now prepared for the last leg of their travels, no longer traveling by ship. And they started making their way inland about 65 miles from Caesarea Maritime to Jerusalem. It was a two to three day journey, depending on whether you were footing it or you were, you know, on a camel or a donkey or something. And besides Paul and his traveling companions who had joined him some months earlier 
to help bring the financial relief gift to the Jerusalem church, we see that some of the disciples from Caesarea went with them. And along with that, an early disciple uh, who was originally from Cyprus, this man named Nason. But once they made it to Jerusalem, we find that the brethren received them gladly. They got a warm reception, a warm welcome, which, as I thought about it, was, was a stark contrast from the you know, first time Paul had come to Jerusalem as a saved, transformed man roughly 17 years earlier when he tried to join the brethren in Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him. And they didn't believe that he was a disciple until this man named Barnabas, who we become really acquainted with, put his kind of name on the line. He vouched for Paul and brought Paul to the apostles. And and finally then, they received Paul. But these things, for me at least, serve as a continual reminder to us of how the Lord can so radically transform a person's life. Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the Apostle. This man who was a persecutor, who became a preacher. This man who was a violent aggressor against Jesus' church to a man who was so powerfully used by the Spirit of God to plant churches throughout all of the Roman Empire. In fact, his time in Ephesus, we're told that, that all of Asia was reached with the Word of God within the span of two years. That all within Asia heard the Word of the Lord. This guy was a transformed person. 20 years before that, had someone met him, they would have ran the other direction. Even three years after he was saved on the road to Damascus, when he finally came to Jerusalem, they're like, we don't still know about you. We're still unsure about you. I don't know if enough time's really passed to know if this whole conversion thing is legit yet. To now them receiving him. He's part of them. They love him. And that's just that transformative work that the Spirit of God can do then in any person's life. We're reminded that, that God is not interested in making bad people better or good, but that he's interested in making dead people come alive in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we just look at it from sort of a reform perspective, like, oh, they just, they shaped up some. They cleaned up their life some. They stopped doing some of the old things. Now, that will come with the Spirit of God working in a person's life, that sanctification process. But the Spirit of God doesn't just clean a person up. <laughs> he takes a life that was dead in sin and trespasses, and he and he, he makes that person now a new creation in Christ Jesus, something completely brand new. And I just love that about our God. I love that that's what he specializes in. He loves to do that because 
all the people in that day could look at Paul's life and go, man, only God, only God. And people would do the same thing with us, only God. And he would get all the glory. But let's continue on. Look at verses 18 through the first half of verse 20. So they have this warm reception. On the following day, verse 18, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. When he agreed to them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. This James here is the same James from the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, who was likely, in my opinion, the half-brother of Jesus and who later on became a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. Another story of redemption. James, Jesus' half-brother, did not believe in Jesus when Jesus was still alive before his resurrection. He didn't become a believer until Jesus was resurrected and he saw his resurrected brother who became his resurrected Lord. And then he became later this prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. But when it says in verse 19 that Paul told in details those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, that told in detail actually carries the sense in the Greek that Paul listed each individual thing that God had done through his ministry. Think about that. That would have been a lot to share. How much time did Paul spend detailing all these things? Was it a day? Was it multiple days? I mean, when we think about just what we know, this is not even all the little details. Now, this was a major sort of thing that was happening here as Paul was detailing what God had done. But clearly, Paul wanted to give God all the glory for everything he had done. And in response, the Jerusalem elders, they glorified, they, they praised, they worshipped the Lord. These men could see that God's hand was upon Paul's life. They praised God for what he had done through the Apostle Paul's ministry. Now, it's possible there was an added aspect to these Jerusalem elders glorifying the Lord here that maybe part of their praise or worship was them glorifying the Lord for the financial relief gift that the predominantly Gentile churches had put together and sent over with Paul and his companions. That gift, no doubt, must have blessed these Jerusalem elders as they considered how the Lord had stirred the hearts of the Gentile believers to put this relief package together to help those in need in the Jerusalem church. But moving on into verse uh, 20 through 22, we read verse 20, part of it at least, but let's start from the beginning. Verse 20, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles 
to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. The the Jewish believers in Jerusalem had been informed. What does that mean? They heard rumors about Paul and what he had been teaching the Jewish believers among the predominantly Gentile churches as he traveled in his missionary journeys. Maybe I can supplement my microphone here. Bear with me for a moment. They had some rumors. But what were the rumors that they heard? Well, that Paul was teaching the Jewish believers to forsake Moses. This is a reference to forsaking Mosaic law. They had heard rumors that Paul was saying, you know what, these Jewish believers should not circumcise their sons and that they should not walk according to Jewish customs, but clearly these rumors were false. Paul never taught any of those things, but he did teach the Jewish believers that if they thought that keeping Mosaic law, including circumcision and walking according to the customs, if they thought that those things were going to save them or make them righteous in the eyes of God, that they were wrong. They were wrong. The the Jewish believers in Jerusalem had heard and believed a false report about Paul. And I can imagine that being at least a little hurtful and discouraging for Paul. Can you imagine in this moment, Paul had just been recounting for however many hours all that the Lord had done. And they glorified the Lord, but then they're like, hey, Paul, there's some Jewish believers that think this about you. I mean, that sort of maybe high of excitement of like, wow, man, we're glorifying the Lord, we're worshiping the Lord, and it's like, wait, people people believe that I was teaching these things? Like, in, a, in some ways, they, they kind of believed the worst about Paul in the reports that they had heard. But listen, Paul knew what it was like to be misunderstood and missed misjudged by others, which I find encouraging. I don't know about you, but sometimes people can judge your heart or your motives. They can think things about you. They can take something that you said and come to the wrong conclusion. You didn't even mean that. You didn't even say it. Or or they see you doing something and and you're trying to serve the Lord and they just kind of have a weird outlook about you for whatever reason. Paul knew what that was like. And in our section of verses this morning, there's actually three different situation where, situations where we find Paul being misunderstood and misjudged by others. And the first one is right here, that the Jewish believers were mistaken about what Paul was teaching in his ministry, but it's important to note that in spite of those things, in spite of him 
being misunderstood and misjudged by these believers. These were fellow saints. These were others in the body of Christ that Paul kept on ministering. Can you imagine if that was you in Paul's shoes and you heard that these that people that you maybe knew or administered to, that they had believed lies about you? You may not be automatically super excited to keep wanting to pour into them. You might have like a little sour note. There, there could grow in you a little bitterness even. Like, well, I don't want to, I mean, they believe these, they kind of believe the worst about me. Why would I want to put myself on the line? Why would I want to keep pouring out? Keep making my lives about them for the sake of the kingdom. Why would I, why would I do that? But Paul didn't think about himself. And, and oftentimes that's sort of the line that we can find ourselves coming to. Are we going to make it about me now? Or am I going to keep it about Jesus and his kingdom, which is always other-centered? And when it becomes about me, that's when I can find myself pulling back. That, that's when I can start to maybe shut down in a moment or, or not want to try, maybe as hard as I was trying before. Maybe you can relate to that. And to see and be encouraged by the example of Paul that even in spite of being misunderstood or misjudged, even by others in the body of Christ, to keep on ministering, to keep on making our lives about Jesus and not about us. Moving on, though, continuing into verse 23. James and the elders there, therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed about, uh, informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. You know, it it seems clear to me, at least as I read this, that, that James and the other elders of the Jerusalem church did not believe those rumors about Paul. But that they had a plan to help Paul prove to the Jewish believers that those rumors were false and wanted Paul to follow their advice so that the truth would be known and so that Paul's ministry among the Jews would not be hindered. Check out pastor and Bible commentator Warren Wearsby's insights about this. He said, the leaders suggested that Paul demonstrate publicly his reverence for the Jewish law. All they asked was that he identify himself with four men under a Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6, pay for their sacrifices, and be with them in the temple for their time of purification. He agreed to do it. If it had been a matter involving somebody's personal salvation, you can be sure that Paul would never have cooperated. 
for that would have compromised his message of salvation by grace through faith. But this was a matter of personal conviction on the part of Jewish believers who were given the freedom to accept or reject the customs. And these are important insights for us to keep in mind as we take in this whole situation and what they were asking of Paul. But there's also a note of clarification from the Jerusalem elders in verse 25 of the decree that was made by the Jerusalem council back in Acts chapter 15, a a decree that helped to thwart the, the Judaizers' attempt to bring the Gentiles under the law in order for them to be saved and also helped remove stumbling blocks that could keep the Jewish and Gentile believers divided because of cultural and moral issues, making sure both Jews and Gentiles who had put their faith in Jesus Christ would stay united in Christ. But but look at how Paul responds in verse 26. It says, Then Paul took the man, the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Paul didn't have a problem with the Jerusalem elders' council. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't reject their counsel because, you know, he could have argued he didn't do or teach anything wrong. Or he could have argued, you know what, that's their problem, not mine. He could have even said, you know what, I'm the one who really understands grace. I'm the one who who understands this freedom in Christ maybe better than anybody else. But he didn't do any of that. We also need to understand that Paul's not compromising here by going along with their counsel to do these things. He wasn't now seeking to gain his acceptance in the eyes of man, wasn't being a man pleaser, wasn't doing these things to gain a more righteous standing in the eyes of God, wasn't seeking to be saved through following through with their advice. No, his heart in this was to remove any possible obstacle that would hinder his effectiveness to reach people for Jesus Christ. This situation, guys, is a perfect example of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul wrote this, In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 22, he said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, in other words, I'm not sinning, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul was willing to lay down his freedoms in Christ 
if it could mean him being used by the Lord to see people find salvation in Christ. You know, he understood his freedoms in the Lord probably better than anyone else in history. Yet he made himself a servant to all that he might win more people to Jesus Christ. And that is powerful. And it's a powerfully challenging sort of thing for probably many of us to read. Because when we have a freedom about something, we don't just easily want to lay that thing down. We want to clench it with the death fist. You can't take that away from me. Right? Like, that's mine. You know, that's your problem. You have a problem with that? That's your problem. Paul's like, look, whatever I, doesn't matter. Whether that's becoming like a Jew, doing Jewish customs, doing this purification, he didn't need to do it. He didn't need to. He didn't have to. But he did it in order to reach the Jews. Someone was under the law, hey, I can meet you there. I'll meet you at that place. Someone who had no knowledge of the law, I'll meet you there. I can connect with you on some level. I can, I, can, I can do things that will make me have to humble myself, maybe lay down my own rights so that I can reach you with the gospel. As long as I'm not sinning, I will do it. Becoming a servant to all so that he might reach all, man, that's, I want the Lord to give us this same mindset that Paul had. But now verse 27. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Paul had almost made it to the end of his purification period. He's like, I'm almost, I almost can leave. Like, I don't have to stick around here. And he, I can go resume sort of life. I can follow through with the other plans I'd like to do. He's almost to the end of it, almost was there to announce the expiration. And the Jews from Asia saw him. They stirred up the crowd. They laid hands on him. And this, this means that these Jews from Asia knew Paul. They knew him. They were able to spot him in a crowd of thousands of people. This is Pentecost time. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem at this point in time to gather for the Feast of Pentecost. And these Jews were able to go, ooh, that's Paul. Paul's here. But from verse 29, we also see that they had known and were able to spot one of Paul's 
traveling companions too, a man named Trophimus who was from the city of Ephesus, which leads me to believe that these unbelieving Jews who saw Paul, stirred up the crowd, laid their hands on him, were from Ephesus in Asia. Guys, remember, Paul's custom when coming to a new city was always to seek out a Jewish synagogue first, to preach the gospel, to reason with the Jews from the scriptures. And that's what Paul did in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. We, we find there that Paul went into the synagogue in Ephesus, that he spoke boldly for three months. Three months, he kept coming back to the synagogue, kept reasoning with them from the scriptures, kept speaking boldly about Jesus until we're told that the hearts of some became hardened and they would not believe. And those people began to speak evil of the way before the multitude, the way being a reference to Christianity and the Christian message, which is all centered on Jesus, who is the way. And that whole situation caused Paul to move on and begin reasoning daily from the school of Tyrannus, the first Sith Lord of the New Testament. JK. Anyways. Doth Tyrannus. (laughs) Oh, man, it's so like Paul. He finds a school where Greek philosophy is going forth, and he's like, cool, how about the gospel go forth from here? It's like meeting in this public elementary school. All kinds of stuff are being taught here all week. But on Sundays, the word of God is going forth. And that's awesome. You know, it's very possible that these unbelieving Jews who saw Paul now in Jerusalem and stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him were actually part of that group of hardened uh, uh, and unbelieving Jews of the synagogue in Ephesus that Paul had spent three months with. But, but look at what these unbelieving Jews cried out about Paul. Four accusations. They accused him of being the man who taught all men everywhere against the people. What are they saying? Paul's anti-Jewish. He's teaching against our people. Let me remind you, Paul is a Jew. But he's anti-Jewish. They, they accused him of teaching against the law. They accused him of teaching against, it says, this place. That's a reference to the temple. And they accused him of bringing Greeks into the temple, which caused the holy place to be defiled. This is another one of those three situations I talked about in our section of verses where Paul is misunderstood and misjudged, not just by other believers. But secondly, we see here he's misunderstood and misjudged by the Jews from Asia who were mistaken about Paul's teachings and about bringing a Gentile into the temple area. And yet, as we'll see in our study next week, Paul is still going to keep ministering, keep seeking to reach them for Jesus, even though they want him dead. Misunderstood and misjudged, but still reaching out with the gospel. It didn't deter him. It didn't cause him to turn inward. It didn't cause him to become hardened to the people that Jesus wanted to reach. He kept going. But 
Well, let's consider their accusations about Paul. First, Paul was not against the Jewish people. But he knew that being a Jew wasn't what made you accepted by God. You know, you think about how people will think because of their upbringing, because of their family, because of, you know, my grandma was a a believer. You know, my great-grandfather was a preacher. I went to church two times when I was a kid. I I was dedicated as a baby. That these things become something that becomes a source of like, well, I'm cool before God because of that. Of, of course I'm going to heaven. I mean, I belong to this church. I went to church growing up. I went to catechism. I did my thing. I did some good things. And that becomes a thing for some people that they put their trust in. That's what's going to save them. That's what's going to make them accepted before the Lord. And and that same sort of mindset was found even within the Jewish people. Where we're Jewish, of course we're accepted by God. We're God's chosen people. Paul knew that being a Jew wasn't what made you accepted by God. Everything about Paul's life and ministry made it clear that Paul loved his fellow Israelites and had an immense burden to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In fact, in one of his letters, he writes that he would become accursed. He would become eternally damned if it meant that his countrymen, the Jews, would find faith in Jesus Christ, find salvation in Jesus Christ. I don't think many of us would be willing to say the same sort of thing. That we would go, yes, Lord, send me to hell so that these people who right now hate me can go to heaven. I mean, we might say that about someone we really love and admire and we respect them and we, you know, we we have a deep connection to, but would we say that about an enemy? Lord, send me, if, if it means that someone else can be saved, Lord, make me eternally damned. And yet Paul was able to not only write that, that was the reality of his life. That's how he viewed things. Because he wanted to see the Jewish people find hope in their true Messiah, which was Jesus. The second accusation, secondly, Paul wasn't against the law. But but as I said before, he was against people believing that keeping the Mosaic law would be what saved them, made them righteous or accepted in the eyes of God. Third, Paul was not against the temple, but he knew that the whole sacrificial system pointed to Jesus, that the sacrifices and rituals of the temple could not save anyone, but that only the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus, and all he accomplished and provided for us through his death on the cross, only that, only him, can save someone from their sin and make them righteous and accepted before God. And fourth, Paul didn't bring any Gentiles into the temple area. 
this was something they jumped to their own conclusions about with any fa- without any facts because they saw Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city and just assumed that he had brought him with him into the temple, which was an offense punishable by death if a Gentile went beyond just the court of the Gentiles in the temple area. In fact, the Romans gave the Jewish people permission that even if a Roman were to go beyond the court of the Gentiles, even the Roman citizen could be killed. They honored that area for the Jewish people. What these unbelieving Jews cried out in accusation against Paul caused the city to be disturbed, to be stirred up emotionally, caused the people to run together toward Paul, seizing him, dragging him out of the temple, or the temple area, I should say. But but I want us to understand This outcome here does not prove that James and the rest of the elders' counsel to Paul was wrong and out of line. It just proves that what the Holy Spirit testified to Paul and spoke through Agabus the prophet was right and that Paul was walking in the will of the Lord for his life. Now, to an outside perspective, we might go, This couldn't have been the Lord's will. I mean, why? Why would it be? But as we've looked at and considered, even over the last few weeks, that sometimes these things are a part of God's will because he's working something even greater behind the scenes. He has his glory in mind. He has our good in mind. He has the good of others in mind. He has all of eternity in mind and the things that he's allowing and even doing. But let's see how this situation continued to play out in verses 31 through 36. I think we're actually going to make it, guys. I have a good feeling about this. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, not the rapper. Two chains is a rapper's name. Anyways, totally different here. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumults, the chaos, the confusion, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. While the crowd was seeking to kill Paul, the Lord was intervening in the life of Paul here. Using these Romans, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was thrown into confusion. He takes some soldiers and some Tyrians, and he heads down to where everything was happening. This commander, who we know from Acts 23, verse 26, was a man named Claudius Lysias. This man came with soldiers and centurions, and these men 
would have been stationed in the Antonia Fortress. This was a, a, a tower kind of fortress area located on the northwest corner of the temple area, and it overlooked the temple area. We don't know how much of the garrison was dispatched. Usually the garrison consisted of a 1,000 soldiers. But when the people saw the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came, took Paul, bound him with chains, most likely shackling him by hands and feet. But because of the multitude crying out different things, this just kind of so like a mob, right? They don't even fully know what's going on. Like they're, this is, you know, this guy did something. And then there's these other people and they're like contradicting what those other people were saying about Paul. Like the the commander's just trying to figure out who Paul is, what's going on. He can't figure it out because the chaos of the mob and the confusion and all the noise. So he decides, you know what, let's take Paul up into the barracks, get him into the Antonia Fortress, but things got so violent towards Paul that when they reached the stairs to the fortress, they had to pick him up and carry him to get him away from the violence of the mob. First kind of mosh pit sort of experience for the Apostle Paul, I think, carried. uh, Anyways, I'm on a roll today and no one else thinks it's funny. Anyways, okay. Phew. Batting over like 10 right now. The crowd's falling out behind him, and, and they're crying out, notice, away with him. Just to be clear, because I, I think when I read it, I'm like, cool, get him away from here. Just get him away. We don't want him in the temple area anymore. But that's not actually what they were shouting. That wasn't the heart behind the shout. And I'm not just making this up, because... Later on in verse 22 of Acts chapter 22, the same crowd says, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. This away with him was not like, ah, we just don't want to see him anymore. Just get him out of my face. They're like, kill him. Kill him. Put him to death. Interestingly, This was the same thing another crowd in Jerusalem almost 30 years earlier shouted about Jesus in Jerusalem. Away with him. Away with him. But I want to remind us here that prophecies are being fulfilled regarding Paul. First, the things Paul said the Holy Spirit had testified to him about in every city. As he went bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, the the spirit telling him that chains and tribulations awaited him. But secondly, the things Agabus had prophesied about Paul in Caesarea, that the Jews in Jerusalem would bind him and that Paul would be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. These things further remind us that God's word, what he says, will always win out will never fail, will always come to pass. And I, and I don't doubt that that reality was in, fr- in the front of Paul's mind here, even in all the chaos, that in some sense maybe Paul could rest 
in the Lord's care, even though his life was being threatened, even though he had been beaten by the mob, resting in the knowledge that God knew what he was doing and what he was allowing and that he had a plan in all of this to glorify himself through this situation. We're going to see that awareness in Paul in just a a minute in how he takes this opportunity to, to speak to the crowd. But let's read our final section of verses here, verses 37 through 40. Home stretch. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? I don't know if he said it in that tone. The commander replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, no unimportant city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying. Paul had been carried up the steps of the Antonia Fortress. There was two flights of stairs that led up into the fortress. Right before he gets into the barracks, Paul turns to the commander. He's like, hey, can I I just talk to you for a second? And his question actually shocked the commander because Paul asked him the, que- the question in the Greek language, which, which then made the commander go, "What you, you could speak Greek? Because like, in his mind, he's thinking that this guy is somebody else who he knew did not speak Greek, this Egyptian rebel guy that led the 4,000 assassins. Did you ever wish there was like a like a really cool, like we just had footage of this? Like it's just, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like fathom even some of these situations. But uh, in his confusion, he, he asked Paul, you know, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago, which actually historically was just a few years before this, stirred up a rebellion, led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And, and I want us to notice here, This is the last of the three situations in our section of verses where Paul is again misunderstood and misjudged. First by other believers, then by the unbelieving Jews, now by this Roman commander who was in charge of this entire garrison of troops. This Roman commander was mistaken about Paul's identity, thinking he was this infamous Egyptian rebel with these 4,000 assassins. Now, the historian Josephus wrote about this Egyptian imposter who claimed to be a prophet and and promised his followers that the walls of Jerusalem would collapse at his command. So he brings his thousands of followers to the Mount of Olives, just across from the Temple Mount. And instead of the walls of Jerusalem collapsing, the Roman army came against them killed a bunch of them, captured a bunch of them, and the rest of them just took off, including this Egyptian false prophet guy who they never actually apprehended. He just kind of got away. They didn't really know what came of him. And so that's why now this commander is thinking that 
Paul is this man because they never caught the guy in the first place. And why would the crowd be reacting so crazily like they are unless this guy was, you know, somebody that hated, you know, he was just, he was a rebel. He was this leader. He had these assassins. Like, of course, it must be this guy. Paul's like, I'm just a Jew from Tarsus. Like, I don't know about the other guy, but that's not me. But, you know, it's gracious. He doesn't get mad that he's being compared to this this other guy. He just, you know, lets him know, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. Asks him, and he, he actually, he begs the commander to permit him to speak to the people. This was an odd request given the circumstances of the crowd wanting to kill him. But the commander gave him permission. So Paul stands on the stairs, set up perfectly at this elevated position up these two flights of stairs where he could overlook and address the crowd. And it tells it, Luke tells us that he motioned with his hand to the people. Now, this wasn't Paul shaking his fist like in defiance. Like, you guys stink. He wasn't like, he didn't take like his finger like this and go, and then point at all of them like this, like a sweeping motion. You know, I think, again, if we were, he just got the crud beat out of him. He didn't do it. He was just, he's in the temple. He's minding his own business. He's just trying to wait out the purification period. He's doing what he was, what was asked of him. He's trying to not let anything be a hindrance to the gospel, going out to the Jewish people. And then the Jewish people still misunderstood him. Laying down all his freedoms. He's putting himself on the line. He's going through with all these things that he didn't have to do for them. And they still misunderstood him. They still misjudged him. They still lied about him. They still rejected him. They still beat him. And yet we find Paul here, and he's not shaking his fist. He's not giving the old, like, slit the throat motion. He's just going, like, guys, calm down for a second. Like, hey, I want to speak to you. And we just see in Paul this, this amazing heart of Jesus in Paul. Misunderstood, misjudged, lied about, rejected, beaten, and attempt to kill him. And even with all that, he sees this unique opportunity here to testify about Jesus And what Jesus had done in his life, he was motivated by such a deep love for his people, such a deep desire to see him saved that he began to speak to them. Once they had quieted down, speak to them in their own language. And we'll look at what Paul shared next week, Cliffhanger. I'm going to have Sherry come back up. Look in closing, guys. You know, Paul, again, he was clearly misunderstood, misjudged. The whole bit, rejected, lied about, beaten, but he still kept on ministering. He still still kept reaching out. You know, for those of us who know Christ personally, whether whether people understand us or misunderstand and misjudge us, whether they accept or reject us, whether they love or hate us, know that God understands us. Know that God knows our heart, and he knows our motivation. He accepts us based on what Jesus has done for us, and he loves us. 
intensely. I want to encourage you today, if you found yourself in situations where it's been difficult relationally with others, maybe it's even that you've tried to share the gospel with people, but they've just, they've shut you down. Maybe they've even tried to offend you or, or whatever it may be. Be encouraged today. Keep looking to Jesus. See, if Paul had made it about the people, he would have stopped. If Paul had gotten focused inwardly on himself and how he was feeling and how he felt rejected, he would have shut down. But he kept his eyes on Jesus. The priority priority of his life kept staying on the kingdom of God. And because of that, he was able to keep on ministering. Keep looking to Jesus. Paul became all things to all people so that he might by by all means win some. And I want to ask us, do we have that same mindset that Paul had? And if not, why not? What's keeping us from that? What are we holding on to so tightly that may actually be something that the Lord's going, lay it down for the sake of reaching somebody else for the sake of the kingdom? And it does take humility. It takes trusting the Lord. But know that the Lord will meet you in that place. Well, listen, this morning, if you don't know Jesus personally, know this morning that he loves you. Paul is an amazing example of just the love of God on display for people. Believers who thought the worst about him Unbelieving Jews who came to the wrong conclusions about him, lied about him, the whole bit. A Roman commander who thought he was some Egyptian rebel assassin leader. But he kept loving people. He kept seeking to reach them for Jesus Christ. And look, that is God's heart for you today if you don't know Jesus personally. He doesn't want to reform you. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, that all the old things would pass away and all things would become new as you put your faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished. And if that's anybody here today and you're in that place, I would love to pray for you. It's going to take a little bit of effort on your part because I'm going to ask you to stand. But if that's you today, And you're going, look, I I need my sins forgiven. I want to know that my debt has been paid, that I'm accepted in the eyes of God. The only way to do that is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no righteousness that can be found in any of us apart from the righteousness that's given to us by Jesus himself. And so if that's you, would you stand where you're at? I'd love to pray for you this morning. Is there anyone here? And you're going, look, that's me. I want want that. I want Jesus. I want his salvation. Yeah, anybody else? You're going, look, that's, that's me too. I need. I need that confidence. Awesome. Let's, let's pray. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus, I'm a a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I 
Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you, would you empower me by your spirit? Lord, would you seal me with your spirit? Lord, would you make me a new creation in Christ Jesus? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place, that you rose from the grave. Jesus, would you save me today? I just encourage you as you pray that, as you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. But Lord, maybe for the rest of us this morning, we can identify with Paul in some different ways. Things that he experienced of being misunderstood and misjudged and lied about and rejected. Maybe people being critical of us or thinking the, the worst about us even at times. Lord, encourage them today. God, give them hope. Give them endurance. Lord, keep them looking to you that their eyes would stay firmly upon you and not upon themselves, not upon others. God, help us to not grow weary in doing good, knowing that in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. God, keep us about your kingdom. Lord, would we become all things to all people in order that we might win some, that others would be brought to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus, through our lives. Lord, use us in these days for your kingdom and your glory. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.